Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 reads, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Hello, welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. My name is Bryce Beal. I am one of the pastors here at Faith Bible. Today we are beginning a new quarterly focus. We just finished three months talking about the Bible. Now we are focusing on my favorite of all subjects, which is God himself, what we can also call theology proper. So I wanted to take today in just these few minutes to introduce us to this quarter and this subject by asking the question, what is the study of God? And why do we undertake studying God? When you hear the idea of studying God, maybe that's a little offensive to you, makes you think of lab coats, ammonia, dusty books, the academy, college, something like this. That's not what we're talking about in studying God. All we mean by the study of God is knowing God. You see this in Daniel 11.32 that I just read. We read of someone who will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But there's another group of people not seduced with flattery in this prophecy, and they are the people who, quote, know their God. They stand firm. They take action. Our interest is in knowing God. And a part of knowing God is studying who God is. I'm drawing a lot of this episode from a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. This was a profoundly influential book in the sort of resurgence of high-view theology, big-God theology that we saw in the 2000s and ongoingly. This was very fundamental in that. Many of you have probably read this. If you haven't, highly encourage you to read it. J.I. Packer, Knowing God. He talks about this in that book, and especially the first chapter. Knowing God, when we study God to know God, this is a personal knowledge. This is a relationship we are seeking with God. And so it's more than just knowing data about God. Lots of people, Sunday after Sunday, come to church and know true data about God, but they don't know God in the biblical sense of the term. Knowing God is a personal knowledge, a personal relationship, and knowing God is your primary purpose for existing. It's what your life is about. So when we talk about the study of God, I don't want anyone to think of this as some cold, dusty, academic study about data about God. On the other hand, we are studying data about God. Because just like someone in your family, let's say you have a teenage daughter, You can't have a personal relationship with your teenage daughter if you don't know a thing about her. If you're a father, you're spending long hours at work, you don't even see your teenage daughter, she's off doing something and you are off and she's growing up and you don't even know data about her. You forget her birthday, you don't know who her friends are, you don't know what her developing interests are. Do you have a personal relationship with your daughter? No, no you do not. So a personal relationship It's not just knowing data, but it at least requires knowing data about the person. And if you have a warm personal relationship with someone, let's say you're dating someone, you want to know data about that person. It's interesting to you. 
Similarly, we study God not as its own end, but we study God because we want that study to support a personal relationship with God. J.I. Packer also points out that you already have a view of God. Even if you've never undertaken to look through Scripture very closely and study who God is and what's true about Him, the thing is, everyone has some view of God. It's just that some people's view of God, and for all of us, some of our view of God is incorrect. You see, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, even though they, talking about unbelievers, knew God, meaning knew about Him, they did not honor Him as God, they did not give thanks to Him, they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's what happens when our thoughts about God are incorrect. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is saying that the ancient pagan world, even though it innately and through creation understood that there is a creator God, they gave up that knowledge and chose instead to worship literal, physical idols. You probably don't have an idol on your mantle place that you bow down to, but Packer is right to point out that if you have incorrect views of God, incorrect thoughts about who God is, that is an inner idolatry that you have. So just by way of example, I remember when I was in high school, I was leading an after-school Christian club, and there was a girl in there I just had an acquaintance with. Well, I remember her father was a pastor, and one day after school, I met him just one time. This was my only interaction with him. And the only thing I remember from that interaction was that he made a reference to the big man upstairs. I think that's a very demeaning way to think about God and actually speaks to a false, even idolatrous picture of God that many people have, that he's sort of a therapeutic, grandfatherly Santa Claus figure in the sky, the big man upstairs. This would be an example of having an idolatrous thought about God because that's not who God is. You don't read the Bible and come to that conclusion about who God is. So if we want to really know God as he is, not have idolatrous thoughts of him, but have a warm, meaningful relationship with the God who's actually there, we are going to have to continually undertake a study of God. Here's a beautiful quote by Charles Spurgeon about this. He who often thinks of God, he says, will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Amen and amen. I hope you're also excited about this quarter studying things that are true of the one true God who is there and wondering at that. We'll talk more about why we do that next week. But I do want to just introduce this question, which is, okay, if the study of God is so pivotal and important in our lives, in your life, how do you do it? Well, we will talk a lot about that. But let me just begin by pointing this out which, um, again, J.I. Packer points out in his book, God is so high above us, he's our creator. There's such a distinction there 
that for us to really know data about him and know him personally, he has to take the initiative to reveal himself to you. You can't demand that. You're a creature. He's the creator. The amazing thing is that God wants a relationship with you and therefore has taken the initiative in revealing information clearly about himself so that on that basis we could have a relationship with him. Where does God reveal that information? Well, after three months of talking about the Bible, I hope you know the answer. (laughs) It is in the Bible. Now, the natural world does tell us something about God. Romans chapter 1, again, it tells us this in verse 20. It says that God's invisible attributes, you can't see them, but his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. There is a natural revelation of God where God reveals something of himself in nature. In this case, it says his eternal power and divine nature. If you go look at the Grand Canyon, you perceive something of God's power. How can you not? And his divine nature, when you consider how massive space is and just the number of stars that exist within space. So when we look at nature, we learn something about God. The problem is it's enough information to condemn us for rejecting this God But it's not enough information to form the basis of a close, personal relationship. This would be like reading about celebrities in magazines or on the news. You know about them, but you don't really know them unless they come to your house and talk to you. Similarly, we can know things about God, even from nature. Even people who've never read the Bible know some things about God, but not enough for this close personal relationship. And that's where the Bible comes in. The Bible is God taking the initiative beyond natural revelation and coming into your house and speaking to you directly to let you know who he is, how he thinks, how he acts, what's true about him, so that you can have a personal relationship with him on the basis of that kind of knowledge. So I hope as we move now from our last quarter, which was on the scriptures, into this quarter, which is on God himself, that you won't leave last quarter behind. That's not our intention. That is a building block, a basis for what we're studying now. We're not just making guesses about God. You can't have a personal relationship with him that way. We need to know specific, true things about God. We need to read God himself saying in the scriptures, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate. And now we know God is gracious and compassionate. He's told us that specifically in the scriptures. As we close here, I do want to just highlight a few pitfalls that we're going to have to fight really hard to avoid as we undertake the study of God You probably already suspect many of them. Maybe you know them from experience. One is when we come to study God and we try really hard through the scriptures to understand who he is. We do this study of what's called theology proper. There will be a temptation to be proud. Because the most important knowledge in the world is the knowledge of God who he is. That matters more than anything else. And especially if you're in a religious context, if you're here at Faith Bible Church, around Christians who respect high doctrine, then 
as you learn doctrine, people may start looking to you. They may look to you as, wow, this is someone who knows very large words. He says words like omnipotence and omniscience, things I have no clue about. He must be a very smart, godly person. Our temptation will be to be proud. However, if we are studying God meditatively, not just data on the surface, but striving to have faith prayerfully to understand what we're studying of God, it will, it will have just the reverse effect. There's nothing actually as humbling in this life as coming, in a sense, face to face with God himself as he is, not as we make him up to be in culture. That God's rather tame. But when you read the Old Testament and you come to Sinai and you see God in his glory, his power, the trumpets are blaring, the fire is blazing, and God is threatening to destroy the nation out of jealousy for his glory because they're idolatrous, that should have a humbling effect on you. To say, wow, what a powerful, holy, righteous God. Who am I even to study him? So we have to avoid pride. And we do that by studying not just on the surface quickly, getting the data, getting the words, and rehearsing them to other people. We do that by getting on our knees and taking time, meditating. You may take one thing true about God, let's say his power revealed on Sinai, and take some time prayerfully meditating on the reality of that. That will have a humbling effect rather than making us proud and arrogant. Maybe one other pitfall that we have to avoid is simply the danger of thinking once we have the data, we're done. A.W. Tozer writes about how when you've come to understand orthodoxy or true things about God, that's only a small part of the entire task of studying God. Because that's the beginning, but you've not finished studying God then. Then it's time to get that into a heart level, worship, meditate. We'll talk more about that next week. But I don't want anyone to think that once they've read a systematic theology, Wayne Grudem or something, and they know the data about God's attributes and who he is and what he does, that then the task is done. When we talk about the study of God, we're talking about an ongoing day by day, by week by week, by month by month, by year by year, full investment of your entire self and soul, loving God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything, every day trying to better know God, data, and personally. In the past, you may have thought little thoughts about God, and maybe a study of God would have been uninteresting to you. You have other things you're looking for, but I hope that by God's grace, even if you thought that before, now you will come to think this way. Mm-hmm.